Welcome to Work and Play, the award-winning podcast of Kinsanji Brooks Smith & Profit, where we discuss employment news and provide practical insights and tips that you can use at your company or in your practice. I'm your host, Susan Basford-Wilson. With me is my co-host and partner, Sherry Silberman. Sherry, I don't know if you've noticed or voted yet, but election day is upon us. You don't say. Speaking of, I have a confession to make. Remember when we said we would never talk politics on this podcast? Yes. Well, I'm making a big 180 today because that is all I want to talk about. But fear not, listeners, this is still very much a safe, nonpartisan place. So we will not lean left or right. In fact, we are going to stay very, very still and won't even (laughs) mention the candidates' names. And even though we're all suffering from some extreme election fatigue, I think it's a good discussion because I can all but guarantee that politics will be the topic of conversation in the workplace for the days and weeks and months to come, whether we like it or not. Hey, for the record, I have strong feelings about this election that I would love to share. And I have a feeling that you share that sentiment. However, there are a lot of minefields when it comes to talking politics at work or even outside of work. So I think we should probably just get right into it. Indeed. Let's start out with something foundational that we've mentioned in the past episodes, free speech. In general, employees are, of course, entitled to their own opinions and may vote how they see fit. While there are restrictions on what kind of speech an employer can limit, the flip side of that coin is that there certainly is speech that an employer can restrict. Absolutely. And I think this is a great time to give a really quick refresher on the First Amendment. Contrary to what you might read on Facebook, it doesn't say that employees can say whatever they want, whenever they want, wherever they want, without consequence. Instead, It protects government employees as private citizens who are speaking on matters of public concern, and only then if the employee's interest in speaking freely outweighs the government employer's interest in efficiently fulfilling its public services. So that means that private employers can, in fact, often regulate their employee's speech, and doing so generally won't be a constitutional violation. Correct. And I have a great real-life example that just came out of the Sixth Circuit. The case involved an emergency dispatcher who was fired for a Facebook post that included a racist slur. This case actually goes back four years almost to the day, to election night of 2016. The employee was describing a certain group of voters when she used a racist slur and made references to, quote, Latinos and, quote, rednecks in describing people she said voted for the president. Mm. Yeah, as you can imagine, the employer terminated her for engaging in this behavior, and she sued, arguing that her First Amendment rights were trampled. That doesn't sound good. Um, I noticed that you said she was an emergency dispatcher. So would I be correct in assuming that she worked for a public employer? Nice issue spotting there, yes. Because of that, the First Amendment does give her certain rights, but those rights are not absolute. The court had to consider whether her comment referenced a matter of public concern and found that, yes, it unquestionably referenced a matter of public concern. However, that's not the end of the analysis. 
Right. Even if the employer is a governmental entity, and even if the topic would be considered protected, that protection basically goes away if there is a countervailing interest of the government as an employer. And that's what the employer was able to demonstrate here. They were able to show that both at the disciplinary hearing before she was terminated and at trial, she expressed no concern how her colleagues felt about the slur being used and even called them hypocrites. Mm. The judge said that this showed that her continued employment would have continued or exacerbated the disharmony in the workplace. She sounds kind of like a disharmonious person. (laughs) Yeah, I'd say. I think another factor that weighed in the employer's favor here is that she failed to distance her public-facing profile and comments from her employer. So her account wasn't private, and it identified the name of her employer. So the comments were also found to be harmful to the employer because they displayed this racial bias without a disclaimer that the views were hers and hers alone. And you just tee that up for a nice jump up onto the soapbox to say what is something we like to include in social media policies. It's nice to have something in your social media policy that requires employees to make such a disclaimer to avoid a situation like this. I love to talk about social media. Good soapbox. Yes. Okay, so all in all, it sounds like this was an interesting decision, and it does provide some good analysis as to what might be protected as free speech and what might not for, again, governmental employees. Yeah. It's worth noting that there might be some constitutional laws that come into play here, depending on where you live and work, as many state courts have interpreted their own constitutions to provide the same types of free speech protections as the U.S. Constitution. Also, many state constitutions actually apply to the actions of private parties, not just actions of the government. So, of course, it's always a good idea to know the state-specific quirks where you operate. And while we're on the subject of state-specific quirks, of course, it's a good idea to know what the voting leave laws look like in your area, too. They can vary, but you certainly want to ensure that you give employees all the time off to vote that they're entitled to take. Of course, problem solved if they've already mailed in their ballots. Good point. Of course, there are other laws in this area besides the Constitution, so I think we should talk about those too. We've discussed the National Labor Relations Act before, and this act is where much of the political-type speech might get some protection in the workplace. The NLRA gives employees the right to engage in protected concerted activities for the collective bargaining or other mutual aid or protection In other words, attempting to improve the terms and conditions of the workplace. And employers can't interfere with or restrain employees from exercising these protected NLRA rights. Right. But Sherry, how does this come into play in the political arena? I mean, I think that it can be really murky and often difficult to determine whether speech is political in nature or whether it's aimed to improve working conditions. Um, Let me give you an example to help explain what I mean. So if an employee is campaigning at work for a particular candidate, let's call her President Silverman, um, (laughs) because this candidate promises to pass laws to give all employees a pay bump, then this speech could 
arguably maybe be protected by the NLRA, even though it is tied to an election. I like what you did there. And (laughs) I can see that, you know, it could be protected because you're talking about wages. On the other hand, an employee wearing a hat that simply says Bassford Wilson 2020, that's in violation of the company's dress code, would probably not be protected activity. (laughs) I sound like I have the whole, like, ticket covered myself. (laughs) Yep, check, check. But anyway, yeah, it probably wouldn't be protected, but... I got to tell you, with all this work from home, maybe I should just add that hat to my wardrobe. I'm sure your little coworkers would vote for you. (laughs) But anyway, this topic has come up before, particularly with masks, right? We've talked about that. And generally, unless prohibited by state law, employers can, in a sense, regulate political speech in the workplace by consistently enforcing their appearance policies and solicitation and distribution policies. Yeah, we have talked about this before, but let me push you a little bit, Sherry, because I think there's some gray area here. So let's say it's the Wednesday after the election and a group of employees are on the company's group chat platform or, hey, I mean, gathered around the TV in the break room and the conversation gets nasty. One employee gets angry and begins to refer to another employee using derogatory terms of some nature. And this goes on for an hour. And the encounter is, as I said, heated. Is there any recourse here for the employer? A lot of these will boil down to whether you can identify a policy or a legal violation without regard to what the conversation was about. Right. So in this case, the discussion distracted these employees from the work that they're paid to do for an hour. And no law provides a a carte blanche protection for employees to simply just chat away with coworkers about non-work topics, whether it's in person or electronically. So if they aren't doing their jobs and they're engaging in so-called water cooler activity for an hour or for hours on end, it really doesn't matter whether they're chatting about underwater basket weaving or the best Trader Joe's seasonal food items or politics for that matter. Hey, or even their favorite TV shows. I mean, (laughs) hypothetically speaking, of course. You know, also, I'd say that this conduct, uh, it would likely run afoul of the employer's anti-harassment policies, depending on what type of name calling was involved here. If we're, we're talking about the use of ugly derogatory terms, then you can certainly discipline the employees who are engaging in this behavior. Same goes for situations where political discussions turn physical. Obviously, there's no legal protection for throwing punches at work. Totally agree. And just to keep in mind that these employees are being disciplined because of their policy violations or performance issues, or lack thereof in my hypothetical, not because of the political views or protected NLRA activity or who they're voting for. Exactly. Let's talk about off-duty conduct, because in your example, the employees were at work using company equipment and engaging in this behavior on working time. But what happens when this type of activity happens online, but on a private social media account outside of normal business hours? I think it's a good question, because private conduct off the company's time and equipment can certainly be trickier to handle. However, 
there are certainly situations where you can and should enforce your workplace policies outside of company time and equipment regarding harassment and discrimination. Um, For example, I've had several clients this year who have terminated employees for engaging in some really offensive off-duty social media activity because what they said was really that bad. It It was that intolerable and unacceptable. And this is absolutely one of those situations where we might get there. Some employees might be loud and proud about their vote before, during, and after election, and that could spur some other employees who have vastly different opinions to share those opinions. I've got two words for you. Train wreck. (laughs) (laughs) Dumpster fire. Oh, yes, exactly. And I, re- I really can't think of a time when I've seen a social media encounter like this be productive. So when you have multiple employees gauging this conversation, it could end up being something that an employee might report to you, which will require the company or might require the company to take action. You know, I don't care if the conversation is taking place in the middle of the night on a private account. Um, if the conversation is involving those intolerable, um, that intolerable speech I mentioned before, it involves racial, threatening, or or offensive conduct that would violate the company's policy on harassment or bullying, and then the employer becomes aware of it, which let's face it, they frequently do. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can take the ostrich approach and just stick your head in the sand because this is the kind of stuff that can create or contribute to a hostile work environment. Right. And to be clear, we're not suggesting that companies need to actively police the off-duty speech of their employees. No, but if I had a dollar for every time I've seen one employee helpfully give HR a color printout or a screenshot of another employee's social media profile to tattle on them, I could buy myself something nice. I'd say you could definitely splurge for that custom Basford Wilson 2020 baseball hat and probably even throw in a few extras for your kiddos. (laughs) I can't believe you said that. (laughs) I can picture it now. All right. Well, let's try to recap this discussion. Um, You cannot prevent employees from exercising their rights that are protected by the First Amendment, assuming it applies to you or the National Labor Relations Act, such as prohibiting employees from discussing their wages, benefits, or working conditions with other employees. Further, a total prohibition on any and all discussions of politics, quote unquote, is not a great or even practical idea. You know, if you prohibit your employees from campaigning for a candidate during work, that's, you know, probably okay if you're consistently enforcing non-discriminatory policies on dress and speech, but restricting discussions that specifically concern certain platforms or policies that could relate to the terms and conditions of employment might still be problematic. Also, speech that's threatening, profane, insulting, or uncivil can be restricted, as well as speech that contains, you know, griping, uh, or, you know, if it's just merely griping and it's not intended to improve an employee's wages, benefits, or working conditions. Also, there's a distinction between speech that occurs during working time, where employers can take a harder line, as opposed to speech that occurs while employees are off the clock, which is less restricted. 
And finally, just generally speaking, there are going to be some limits on, quote, water cooler speech, end quote, that affects an employee's job performance or, again, violates company policies on harassment and discrimination. In sum, it's going to shock you to hear me say this, Sherry, but it really does depend. You're going to have to handle these on a case-by-case basis. And when in doubt, call your favorite employment lawyer or President Silberman, whichever. (laughs) Oh, I like the sound of that. But for the record, that's not who I voted for. All right. Well, I I would vote for you if you feel like running. Um, (laughs) All right. So we've covered the Constitution and we've covered the National Labor Relations Act. But I think there are some other things we should mention here, too. Some states have laws that talk about an employer's ability to regulate political activity, and others specifically protect employees for their on-duty and off-duty conduct. Just by way of example, some states have bans on voter intimidation and coercion. Others prohibit employers from taking or threatening to take adverse action against employees based on the results of an election or how someone votes. There was a headline recently where an employer made a statement to its employees that many would lose their jobs if a particular candidate was elected. And since I always raise my hand when it comes to sharing a Florida man story, and that's where this situation originated, I'll share this one. I do love a good hashtag Florida man story. All right. So the company president sent a letter to his employees inside their pay stub envelopes, which stated, if the current president's reelected and the Republicans win the election, the company will hopefully be able to continue operating more or less as it has been operating lately. However, if the Democrats win, the company, quote, could be forced to begin permanent layoffs beginning in late 2020 and or early 2021. Wow. I can definitely see why some employees might view that as coercive or intimidating. Um, but I, I have a feeling the owner of the company did not see it that way. No, he didn't. In fact, when he was asked about it, he said that he'd been doing that for years and he felt he had an obligation to let workers know what could happen based on the outcome of the election. And quote, they certainly should vote for the candidate they want. Did I read that one of the employees said he was so offended by this letter that he decided to quit? Yeah, I saw that too. And I think there's a good lesson here. Even if this type of comment could be considered lawful, it might have some other unintended consequences. Can I hop up on a soapbox for a minute? (laughs) Why not? All right. So I understand that many people have strong feelings about the election, politics, and the state of the country right now. However, can I just ask that everyone take a breath and think about what they're saying before they hit post or send? I mean, my general rule of thumb is that if you would be embarrassed to have your text message, post, or email blown up into like 80-point font and put in front of a jury that contains your mom, your grandma, and your spiritual leader, then maybe you should rethink sending it. Yeah. Your litigator is showing. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't disagree. So Susan, you know how we usually close out with some crazy story we've encountered or read related to the episode's topic? I feel like 
we've all heard enough crazy as of late. Would you agree? So (laughs) instead, I had another idea. Let's share a few interesting, not commonly known voting facts. Oh, totally gets my vote. Bring it on. All right. Here's one. George Washington spent his entire campaign budget, 50 pounds, on 160 gallons of liquor that he served to something shy of 400 voters. (laughs) Fun, right? Buying votes with booze was apparently a custom in England. And he also followed a Virginia tradition where barrels of liquor were rolled onto courthouse lawns and polling places on election day. Do you think that increased voter turnout? I mean, sure would make for some fun stories. <laughs> right? You know, speaking of booze, I heard that it was illegal in South Carolina to buy alcohol on election day until like 2014. I truly find that fascinating, really. Here's another one. When Democrat Stephen A. Douglas called Abraham Lincoln two-faced during an election year, Lincoln replied, if I had another face, do you think I would wear this one? <laughs> Badoom boom. Nice comeback, Lincoln. <laughs> I thought so too. Thank you for joining me today, Sherry. You're welcome, Susan. And listeners, go vote. Totally agree. Though, while you're at it, can you vote for us too? Please subscribe, rate us, and especially leave a written review on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts so that other people who are interested in employment law can find us. We hope you tune in again in a couple of weeks for the next episode.